Stitches! Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. You are listening to So What, and I am your friend and colleague, Isabella Rosner. Today's episode of the podcast is a very exciting interview with Farron Gibson about her book that came out earlier this year, Women's Work, From Feminine Arts to Feminist Art. Farron's book is all about modern and contemporary textile and ceramics artists, so it is perfect for this podcast. And it's a really exciting opportunity to talk about 20th and 21st century textile making, which I feel like I haven't really talked about on the pod in a good long time. So yay! Before we get into the good good interview, I gotta chat social media and give Farron's bio. So you can find images of the art we discuss in today's episode on the So What social media pages at So What Podcast, S-E-W-W-H-A-T Podcast, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We also have a website, SoWhatPodcast.com, where you can find all images and sources for every episode. Now, who is the woman of the hour today, Farron Gibson? Farron Gibson is an art historian, writer, textile artist, and presenter based in London. She is the author of The Ultimate Art Museum and Women's Work. She hosts the Art Matters podcast, and she's a doctoral researcher at SOAS, which is the School of Oriental and African Studies, which is part of the University of London. Farron is a researcher and advocate for art education. Her research areas include modern Chinese art history and topics exploring the crossover between pop culture and art. Her work can be found across mediums, including books, articles, interviews, and 68 episodes of the popular visual arts podcast, Art Matters. Her first book is The Ultimate Art Museum, a museum in a book for young readers. Her second book is Women's Work, which celebrates the stories of modern and contemporary women artists working in textiles and ceramics. Within her textile practice, she explores themes of labor, matrilineal connections, materiality, and color. The book that Farron and I are discussing is, as I mentioned, called Women's Work, From Feminine Arts to Feminist Art. Such a good title, right? When I first saw it, I was like, that is very clever. The blurb of the book reads, quote, This powerful and insightful work offers a bold celebration of the innovative, brilliant artists reclaiming the idea of women's work. In the history of Western art, decorative and applied arts, including textiles and ceramics, have been separated from the high arts of painting and sculpture and deemed to be more suitable for women. Artists began to reclaim and redefine these materials and methods, energizing them with expressions of identity and imagination. Women's work tells the story of this radical change, highlighting some of the modern and contemporary artists who dared to defy this hierarchy and who, through experimentation and invention, transformed their medium. The work of these women has helped underscore the ongoing value of these art forms within the history of art, championing women's work as powerful mediums worthy of celebration. With biographical entries on each artist featured, as well as beautiful images of their artworks, women's work raises up the work of these visionary and groundbreaking artists telling their stories and examining their artistic legacies." End quote. Textile artists in the book include, but are not limited, to the G's Bend Quilters, Annie Albers, Lenore Tawney, Faith Ringgold, Sheila Hicks, 
Olga de Amaral and Billy Zangewa. So as you can tell, it is a stellar, super stellar selection of textile and ceramic making women from all over the world from the 20th and 21st centuries. So without further ado, let's get into the interview so you can learn all about the fabulous book for yourselves. Farron, thank you so much for being here today. I am hyped about not only your book, but also your work more generally, and I'm excited to celebrate all things women's work. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thank Woo! you. <laughs> How did you come to research and write about women artists? It wasn't um, something I initially set out to do. Um, I think as you study art history or a lot of history, probably, you start noticing where are all the women in this textbook or in this museum or what have you. Um, so I think it comes out of um, trying to fill a, fill a gap that's there mm -hmm. and understand uh, something's missing here. Um, and I think in a lot of my work, I like to kind of champion underrepresented voices or things that I think are underloved. So sometimes that's like topics that I'm like, why isn't anyone talking about this? Um, so I think that kind of my nature in that way kind of came together and I started to incorporate consciously a lot more women in the work that I do. Mm -hmm. um, just trying to make sure, okay, is there is this balanced well enough? Like, is this really representing different kinds of people who were working in this space. We'd love to see it. Tell me your art historical journey. I'm aware that you're doing a PhD at SOAS. I don't really know what it's in, and I don't really know what your areas of curiosity, knowledge, expertise are. So how did you come to research, I guess, art? Yeah. So I was at uni and initially not doing great because I went to school for business. And I was like, I hate Oof. all my business classes. Yeah, right. Why did I do this? <laughs> um, and so I said, okay, if I'm going to have a chance at finishing school, I need to switch to something that I just like being in class. And I had taken an art history course in high school and I enjoyed it. So I said, I'm going to switch to art history. And I guess it's a similar thing to what I was just talking about in terms of like filling in the gaps. I took world mm -hmm. art history surveys and i'm i was thinking i'm missing some some non the, the the cultures outside of the west basically yeah um and so i started to take for my elective art history courses i took like chicano art and asian art and islamic art and all of these things that weren't covered as much in the world art surveys and um at the same time i was studying um chinese language um it was Ooh. just what I studied in high school, my language choice, and I continued those studies into um, university. And so eventually those two interests kind of intersected where I started to focus more on Chinese art within my art history studies. Mm -hmm. And so now my research is on uh, what I guess you could call modern Chinese art, but really focusing on the kind of political art from the Mao era. How cool. Congratulations on your extremely lit topic. Um, <laughs> Thanks. You recently published a book, an iconic book called Women's Work from Feminine Arts to Feminist Art, mm -hmm. which when I read that title, I was like, oh, yes, perfect. So tell me all about it. How did you come to select these 34 individuals and groups? 
Do you have any favorite artists, textile artists in there? I want to hear everything. Yeah. So yeah, the book looks at, I think it's 33 women in one collective and it's, it's modern and contemporary women artists working in textiles and ceramics. And what I wanted to do is take a, you know, I, I can't give a whole history of, um, artists working in that space in the 20th and 21st century in this kind of book, but I felt like I could take a cross section of women working in that space and kind of give an overview of some of the things that were happening on a larger scale and some of the incredible innovators and creators who were working in this space as well. Um, And so, yeah, I really tried to think about women from different cultural backgrounds, different ethnicities, different who are working with different themes. So some of the women are directly engaging with uh, feminist issues or topics relating to womanhood. And some of them are not engaging with those things at all. They're, maybe they're pursuing things relating to the environment or mm. um, their cultural heritage or maybe connections to people, um, often women in their families, or um, maybe there's quite intersectional takes on it where they're talking about um, what it's like to specifically be a Black woman and and what happens there, or um, talking about sexuality. So there's so many ways that um, the artists in the book are using these mediums to explore a range of topics and also innovating so much. I mean, just really creating new methods of working, new ways of thinking about these things. Love it. Thank you. <laughs> um, I know it's incredibly hard to pick favorites, but do you have favorites amongst the textile artists in that book? And if so, who are they? If not, it's okay. I know it's like picking your children to a certain Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it is difficult. I mean, there are, depending on if I want to talk about a particular topic. I'm like, oh, that's great for this artist or what have you. But I think one of the single works that stands out for me in the book is by Judith Scott. Judith Scott was born with Down syndrome and then she had scarlet fever, which caused her to lose her hearing. And her family actually didn't realize this for years. I think lots and lots of years um, before they realized that she actually couldn't um, hear well. Um, But later in her life, she was in this kind of art center every day where she would go and um, there were different things that she could choose from to to uh, work, painting, et cetera. And mm-hmm. she really engaged with this fiber class that she took. And from that point forward, she started to wrap objects. Um, so she would, oh. she would like get anything she could. Like they, they were like, sometimes it was somebody's car keys and they would have to like unwrap it at the end of the day. But sometimes it was just little objects. Like it's, I think the, one of the first ones was like a pencil or something. Mm. Um, and she would wrap them in just layers and layers and layers of um, like yarn and just other fibers that she could mm. find. And there's this one in the book that is shaped like a little bean. Um, it's wrapped in paper towels. And I think it's just so... It's something about it I'm just really drawn to. It's got sections that are smooth, some that are like pulled away. And Mm -hmm. when you think about how fragile something like paper towel is to be wrapping around something and tying knots and things, the amount of patience and like focus it would take to do that is just, I just can't get over that. And it's just such a, I don't know, something about it that I really love. And it's one of the bigger images in the book. I just really like that one. So that's probably one of my favorites. 
I love that. Oh my God. That gives you so much to think about with tactility and fragility and shape and yeah. texture. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, gonna, yeah. gonna go on a deep Judas Scott dive after this. So thank yeah. you. Much to think about there. I will admit that I know very little about like modern and contemporary art. I know stuff about like textile stuff because textiles are kind of like my bag, but mm-hmm. I really know almost exclusively like the mainstream people. So your book has been really eye-opening. Oh, that's and, good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that um even some of the bigger names who are working in textiles and ceramics, I think sometimes aren't known in the like broader art history canon as like, you know, big names if you're talking about art, right? People always go to some of the same names talking about art and not necessarily um yeah, some of these artists who are huge if you if you are talking about these topics, but if you don't know specifically like, oh, what are people doing in weaving or what mm, have you, you totally. wouldn't know. Yeah. Totally. It's like a shame and should be fixed. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> but I think by pairing together so many different like textile art forms and so many people who are having different levels of kind of recognition, it really yeah. helps because it puts everybody on an even playing field. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's, I think it's so nice that like Annie Albers and like the quilters of G's Bend, who are two big names, I think, in the world of textiles, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. like are being put amongst Judith Scott and other people who are way less known even to people who study textile specifically. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think it shows the diversity of textiles, right? I mean, because mm-hmm. if you say that to someone, they may, their mind might immediately go to oh, you're talking about quilts, but then somebody else's mind might go to, you're talking about soft sculpture or, you know, something. Totally. Yeah. How did you come to know all of the artists in your book? There are certain ones, like what we're just talking about, like some of them are kind of recognizable when you think of textile art, you think of specific women sometimes, but others, did you have to kind of look deeper into books and the archive and artistic oeuvre? Like, how did you come to select this group and how did you come to find the people who have kind of been less recognized over history i i really look across art surveys um some of them maybe i know and so i'm like oh i definitely mm-hmm. want this person to be in the book so some of the women are connected in different ways so for example faith ringold and Din- mm-hmm. dinka mccannon were both part of a collective of Black women artists working together who supported each other, watched each other's kids, you know, and uh, just generally supported each other in their in their practices. And then there's other artists who maybe didn't, uh, well, so Ava Hess and Sheila Hicks overlapped at school at um, Yale, right? Mm-hmm. So they were both at Yale at the same time. But then there's another artist Shabalala Self who went to Yale much later than them, but also shares the connection. So there's connections between the artists. Olga de Amaral, her work was inspired. Um, she's a, hmm, you could call it, you could call her a textile artist. So she works with gold and other things as well. Yeah. Um, so fiber art, textile art. Um, mm-hmm. And sh- and some of her work was inspired by the ceramics of Lucy Rye. So there's connections across the artists and um yeah so just searching through each of their stories obviously Miriam Shapiro and Judy Chicago they're they're connected searching through their individual stories you find other important artists and then through um just books and just hunting around yeah you know it's interesting to kind of 
create these different threads across the women in the book. And that that's kind of one of the happy things that happened in writing it is realizing, even though this is 34, I think, individual chapters, there is kind of a thread across yeah. them. Like if you read if you read start to finish, you get a broader story and you get their individual stories. And every time I finished writing a chapter, it was like finishing reading a book. You know how you finish reading a book and then you're stuck in that world and you're like, wow, you know, I, I'm still in the mindset of, you know, Sheila Hicks and her traveling throughout Mexico and doing this and that and like, wow, what a life. And then and the next thing you know, like, wham, you're in a next artist's life, you know? Oh my God, <laughs> yeah. a multiverse. Yeah. yeah. Women artist multiverse. How yeah. cool. Your, your description of kind of like the through line, the thread of all of it, mm-hmm. I think on well to the next question I'm going to ask. So I know from your social media, from being a fan of you on Twitter and Instagram, that you yourself are a textile artist. I think you are a quilter, if I'm remembering Mm -hmm. correctly. And in the introduction of your book, I liked so much that you likened the book to a quilt. And Mm -hmm. I felt it's the same thing with you calling this this thread. I agree. Mm -hmm. It, It does feel like this mapping onto each other, patchworking together, pulling yeah. together the seams, that sort of thing. Um, so I'm going to ask the question that leads from the book to your personal practice, which is how did you get into the textile arts, not just studying it, but doing it yourself? It is directly as a result of writing the book. So ah. yeah, as I was writing the book, I was reading about people like Faith Ringgold mm. and G's Bend quilters and even Maria Martinez Hmm. and how they were all learning in some way through a connection to their women in their families. And that got me thinking about my own grandmother and great grandmother who quilted as well. And my dad still has quilts. Uh, My aunts and uncle have quilts that was were made like 50, 60 years ago. Right. By my grandmothers. And and I'm like, wow, this is part of my cultural heritage and my family's story. I want to connect with that. Hmm. And then I also thought about. I just wanted to understand in a tangible, experiential way what it was to make textiles. Um, and it, yeah, so I just wanted to engage with the creative aspects, the frustrations <laughs> that come with it, and yeah, connect with my family's story and all of these things. And so, yeah, it started as um, really just understanding from that perspective. And it was quite personal. It wasn't oh, I'm going to become a textile artist. It was just, I'm going to make some quilts. And I think it would be cool to make a quilt um, as I'm writing this book and and just learn. And um, yeah, then I found that I started having ideas, questions. Oh, what if I did this? Oh, what if, what if the quilt went this way? What if it was this material? Um, you know, how can I make it look painterly? That's a question I pursued for a long time. Um, just because I wanted to see if I could do that. Uh, cause I quite like the work of Helen Frankenthaler and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, what if, what if I made a quilt that was like a, a Frankenthaler work? And, you know, so it just kind of developed organically on its own from my own personal questions that kept arising. And then next thing I knew I turned around and I'm like, oh, I think I have a I think I have a textile practice now. So, yeah, I love that. Did you find answers to your questions or do more questions keep coming up? 
more questions keep coming up. I hope that I hope that I always have questions. Mm-hmm. I hope that I'm always chasing something because that means for me that I'm trying to improve something or innovate on something. Yes. Um, yeah. The question of the painterly thing, I think I'm working it out. Um, and then I developed kind of other styles as well as I've been working. That's the other thing you're when I first started quilting, I didn't have a style. I was just trying to figure out how to do it. Um, I mean, I had done some sewing in the past. It wasn't like the first I'd ever sewn or anything, but um, I had never quilted and that felt intimidating to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, over time I started developing, like, I like working in this way. I like to sew my seams this direction. I like to, you know, you just start figuring out nice. things like this as you work. Yeah. And one more question about your quilting. Did you find that doing what I call the field work, like in my own work, I do a lot of stitching when I have time, a lot of embroidery and Mm -hmm. I kind of consider it field work. That's what I call it. And I think it is like on the ground, anthropological, archeological research. Um, Did you find that quilting informed how you wrote about the textile artists, specifically the quilters? I would have to really reflect on that, to be honest, Mm, to answer that. I think it informed my understanding of their work. That makes sense. Because I, uh, I'll i give you an example. Billy Zengewa, mm. one of the artists in the book, um, Louise Bourgeois, Miriam Shapiro, all of these women have talked about doing their work within a domestic space and mm. what it is to juggle motherhood at the same time as being an artist, being a working person, um, and navigating all of those different different roles. And Miriam Shapiro talks about, you know, her husband had his own studio. He could go off and be isolated and do his work. And she had to work, you know, within the center of their house, stepping between from room to room, like, oh, I'm in the kitchen doing domestic things here. And now I'm stepping over here and I'm trying to also do my art practice here and just juggling these things. And Mm -hmm. I had times of sitting at my kitchen table quilting and my son is eating lunch uh, his dinner next to me and then there's stuff you know sewing stuff spread all over the kitchen and like so it did give me a real understanding of that um that experience for them and the frustrations that can come with that and like yeah it gave me it it gave me a different kind of perspective on um talking about these things I think I really appreciate you saying that because so this will be episode 72 of So What, which is like a lot of episodes at this point. Mm-hmm. And the large majority of these episodes focus on domestic stitching of all sorts. Um, so there is a lot of, you know, learning from the mother and talking about stitching in a in the home. Mm-hmm. Um, but no one, you know, what has never come up in the podcast thus far is physically like envisioning that space. Mm-hmm. And... Oh, you're stitching in the home, but what does home mean? What is the surface that you are putting your sewing stuff on? What room is next door? Are you getting stuff from that room to work on your quilt? Are you getting stuff from that room to do your embroidery? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It. I think it's really helpful for me to hear it. And it's really helpful, I think, for Sew It listeners to hear it as well. The, uh, the physicality of yeah. domestic art practice. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Oh yeah, uh, Billy Zengewa told a really it it sounded kind of beautiful. She said sometimes she's sitting in her kitchen, 
and her son is maybe in the other room playing or something and she's working at like her table and then there's like beautiful greenery out of her window and it sounds really um that scenario sounds quite peaceful um because i think she set up the space to be a way that works for her what is your favorite textile object or objects well i i thought about this and oh, good. okay i think at the moment i'm really enjoying soft sculpture mm. because it's often fun it's often really just deeply interesting sometimes it's whimsical um it's very inventive and i think for some of the artists in women's work who are working in soft sculpture definitely towards um the beginning they talked about um sculpture has this idea of like oh it's made from stone and wood and these heavy objects and it's these the history is associated with like oh, oh men could take sculpture classes mm-hmm. um because you had to be a man to do it which is nonsense um and so it's really cool to see artists working in soft materials stuffing and things that you don't think of as being sculptural traditionally to create these really cool and interesting works um, I think I have a, a fantasy of um, one day making a soft sculpture. I have no idea what it would look like. I want I want the light bulb moment that pushes me to create something because I just think they're so interesting. Yeah, they are so interesting. I do hope you have that light bulb moment one day. Yeah. That's I feel like soft sculpture, soft, soft, soft sculpture is such an art form for now. Yeah. Like, there is something about it that like it still feels like it's really on the cutting edge in so many different ways like there's so yeah, much I still to that. do there's so much like so much that hasn't been kind of delved into yet and i think like maybe this is for me personally like a post covid thing i just want to like for some reason the sense of touch is very important to me now and i think mm-hmm. maybe it's because i was missing like you know hugging my friends and like you know touching grass like whatever um getting out of my own home and I feel like soft sculpture gives me what I need when it comes to just the 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 need to to feel yeah I think it's also quietly um like kind of badass I don't know if I can say Mm, that because um Dorothea Tanning talked about um, she made some soft sculpture works and someone was like, oh, it's good. It's a shame that it's not like wood or like stone or something like that. It's not going to last, you know, it's going to deteriorate or or something, you know, these kind of critiques. And she's like, I don't care. She's like, this is what I want to do. And Ava Hess was similar. She worked with like these latex materials and these things that she knew would degrade over time. She didn't care. Like this is, this is what she wanted to do. So I love that. Like there's a life to the image to these works as well mm. um some of them just can't be around forever because it's the nature of the material and the artists are fine with that they were aware of that they enjoy that and mm. i think that's really um i don't know I, I i like the kind of challenge challenging attitude of creating works like that oh i like that so much also yeah. i appreciate you bringing up soft sculpture as a fave because no one's ever talked about it on the podcast before but what I like it it does just feel really perfect for a podcast about needlework and the power of the needle because Mm -hmm. soft sculpture sculpture is one of those things that from far away you forget I oftentimes forget that it's textile I forget that you know labor had to be done to put 
seams, you know, to, to bind pieces of fabric together to then stuff with stuff or, you know, to yeah. create textile assemblages. Like a needle is pretty central yeah. to a lot of soft sculpture work. And I like, you've turned this micro thing that is at the heart of this podcast into something very macro, very large scale and very um, integral, but kind of easy to forget in that art form, which I think is nice because it shows that stitching is really everywhere, that even when you don't think that's what you're seeing, it's all happening because of stitch. Totally. Yes. And, and like, um, so like olden Klaus Oldenburg, the pop artist, um, Mm -hmm. there's some, you know, if you look up like, Oh, what was the first soft sculpture? Some people attribute it to him. Um, Yoyoi Kusama takes issue with that. She thinks that, um, he kind of took that idea from her. They were working around the same idea. I would say even going further back, you could refer to uh, Marette Oppenheim's work with the fur teacup as being a kind Mm. of soft sculpture. Um, But talking about Oldenburg, he made these soft sculpture works and, or he, hmm, he, (laughs) well, the reason I pause is because his wife, Patty Mucha is the one who sewed the works, right? So it's just really interesting to talk about like that labor, that stitching and that, you know, the, the making, she helped sew a lot of his early soft sculpture work. So that's just really interesting to kind of like, think about that. Oh, the artist, the genius, the maker, and then like quietly, secretly behind him, or or, or maybe people don't know, you know, his wife, Patty Mucha was making those things in the beginning. So that's cool. Yeah. That is so fascinating. And the, Fascinating and tangled gender dynamics of Stitch. Yeah. Strike again. Yeah. Wow. Always yeah. forever. Yeah. Even, like basically now those gender dynamics are still playing out. Yeah. Wow. That is so interesting. I had no idea. Thank yeah, it's really so interesting. Much. Yeah. Great answer. Get it. Yeah. It's a fun but... one. And it and also it can be many things. It's not mm-hmm. always stuffed. Uh, there are, um, I would say, um, Abakanovich, her work, um, which is kind of weaving fiber uh, based um, probably mixed techniques and and things within that, but it's very sculptural. It's definitely a sculpture, soft sculptures. Um, Same with um, Mirolini Mukherjee. Um, She did kind of, well, her practice started out with kind of macrame and then probably incorporate some weaving and different things in there. Very sculptural. Mm. They are hundred percent sculptures. So there's many ways to, to, create a soft sculpture even I love that because I I know that soft sculpture obviously like at its core it's sculpture but it also speaks very much to the variety of possibilities that come with textiles Mm -hmm. like that there's just so much that can be done with fabric or with a piece of string or yeah like there are so many building blocks and so many ways to handle those building blocks yeah the best that's why this podcast can keep going on for literally forever um (laughs) Because textiles are everywhere and there's so much. Yeah, it's true. What do you think the role of needlework is in today's world? And you can expand that to textiles more generally. Yeah. I think that it has can have many different reasons. I mean, my it can be it can serve every purpose that art serves, mm. which is um a creative expression, therapeutic. Mm-hmm. um political okay. um the artists in this book and people doing needlework work around the world 
right now do it for so many reasons. I mean, I can remember um, when I used to knit, I don't knit so much um, now. And I'm also, I should qualify that I'm very bad. I can only knit. I can't purl. And I never did patterns. But but the curling is wild. I I basically just did like scarves. (laughs) I love that for you. Um, but, cold? Yeah. Yeah. But it's very therapeutic. I find that the kind of repetitive process of doing, it's just soothing. The sound is soothing. And the, so there's that aspect, even when I'm doing my hand stitching on my quilts, there's something um, soothing about that process. So I think there's definitely a, a mental health component that some people get out of needlework. I think also one of the artists in the book, Hannah Hill talks about, um, she's an she works in embroidery and she's like, it's a form of mark making, just like painting, just like anything else. You know, mm-hmm. she's like, it's just the the medium that she works in. And so it's needlework is as wonderful, creative and brilliant and beautiful of a option for a medium as any other art medium. So it serves that purpose as well. And then um, if you think about things like quilts or apieras or things like that, um, they've been used for kind of um, you know, to make a political statement about mm-hmm. various topics and to um, challenge the powers that be. So it, yeah, it can, needlework can, can be all things, including practical things, including all things. <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank you. Get you an art form that can do it all. And yeah. textiles. Like, for real, that's, that is work with a needle. That's, I mean, I interpret the word needle very broadly when I, when I do episodes for this podcast, I've talked about weaving and everything, but I, I think that I, you know, people consider needlework work with a physical needle mm-hmm. or with like even knitting needles or whatever. But I think needlework is much more than that. It's all every type of textile. There is a, a needle or a needle like thing involved at some point along its journey. Yeah. And I think that you're right. It serves so many purposes. There are so many uses for it. There are so many different ways to utilize it. Mm. Not to be too bold, but dare I say that textiles are like the most diverse art form? Mm. It's very versatile. And 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 I, I mean, as we've discussed in this conversation, if we're saying the word textile um, broadly to talk about art, it could be so many things. It could be so many things because like yeah. even a painting is made on a textile. It's well, that's true. Paper. Well, and that's interesting because Shabalala Self, one of the artists in the book, she first kind of her kind of early beginnings of getting into her process, which now uses a lot of applique applique and things like that. It was using the canvas and like making impressions on the canvas with um, printmaking materials and then cutting out canvas and re-sewing it down and things like that. So that was where that kind of started and then kind of developed over time. So totally. How can people learn more about your work? And do you have anything you'd like to promote? I think the answer is yes. Yes, my book. <laughs> I have a book. I don't know if you know. It's called women's know? work. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, definitely women's work. I also wrote um, another book, uh, The Ultimate Art Museum, which is kind of aimed at younger readers. It's an overview of kind of global art history. So there's all kinds of different things in there, including some textiles, but many other things as well. Um, and yeah, you can find me on my website, farrengibson.com. And on social media, I'm at, at Farron Gibson. I think I'm probably best on Instagram. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I have a newsletter, which you can sign up to on my website. It's on Substack. And uh, I'm planning to 
put more original content on there. So maybe more writing just about Mm. art things that interest me. So if you like a lot of my um, work that I do that I put out is about like art and pop culture, art and everyday life. So if that sort of thing is interesting to you, I make videos, I write things differently, things like that. So, yeah. Oh, God, so many ways to find you and read your work and see your stuff. How exciting. (laughs) Thanks. Love that. Farron, thank you so much for this. I have learned so much and I very, very, very much appreciate the opportunity to think more about the type of textiles and art that is happening in the more recent past and into the present. So thank you for that opportunity. Thank you for having me. Hi again. Such a fun interview, right? Yes. Thank you to Farron for a great chat and for writing such a brilliant book. I really appreciated this opportunity to interview Farron because, as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast episode, I really talk very little about textile artists from the 20th century on this podcast, which is a shame because there are a lot of really important and influential artists from that period, so that's going to have to change. I think talking about modern and contemporary textile making is a perfect topic for this, the last So What episode of 2022. When we think about current needlework art, we can think about where it fits into the larger history of stitching and textile production. How do these modern and contemporary artists reflect on and interact with the textiles that came before them? How do they utilize the same techniques or turn away from them to create something else entirely? Farron's book allows us not only to learn, but also to reflect. And what is the end of the year if not a time to reflect? 2022 has been a hectic year on the whole, I think, at least it has been for me. And I don't know about you, but I have found a lot of comfort in needlework, both doing it and studying it. And I hope you have too. Here's to a great year ahead, fingers crossed, hopefully, with lots of textiles and needlework. I hope you all have a happy holiday season and a great new year. I will be back here with more historical needlework goodness in 2023. Now go out and stitch some stories and get yourself a copy of women's work. Bye!